Welcome to Under the Fig Tree Podcast. In today's episode, hosts Reverend Micah Glenn and Reverend Dr. Ben Hout sit down with a special guest as they meditate under the fig tree. What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome back once again to another episode of Under the Fig Tree. I'm your host, Reverend Micah Glenn, Director of Recruitment here at Concordia Seminary, always joined uh, by my co-host, Dr. Ben Hout. How are you, bro? I'm all right. I'm all right. It's uh, it's a good day. the The leaves are falling. It's beautiful outside. Yeah, and uh, it, yeah. It, it's that tricky time of the year. I put on a flannel because it was like 40 degrees in the morning, right? Which is freezing to me. I understand scientifically it's not, but uh, anyway. And then it's like mid 70s in the afternoon, and a flannel is no longer a good choice. Yeah. Uh, but here we are. I'm kind of sweaty, but I'll make it. Uh, we're joined uh, by a guest. Uh, I almost called you Reverend Doctor. Jeff Clater, which nope. would, would have been fine, but yeah. Reverend, Reverend Jeff Clater, uh, a pastor here locally here in St. Louis, an alum of CSL. Welcome to Under the Victory. So glad to be here. Love you guys. We've been, uh, we've been thinking about this moment for uh, a good long while. Um, Who has? So Me I, and ben. I have. You've been what? on our, our guest list since the very beginning oh, of yeah. Under the Victory. Really, like this moment. You've been thinking about this moment for a yep. long time? It, it didn't look like this because Under the Victory used to be way less produced. Uh, it was me and Ben on our laptops yeah, doing I, it over Yeah, I watched Zoom. the early ones. It looked like the Bin Laden capture video. <laughs> it was... It, we did it. And, we did our best, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, you did great. It but was really good. The fact that you're here on, on our set is even better. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Honored. Honored to be here. Because uh, Jeff is my pastor yep. and, and has been since... Well, when did you become senior pastor? 2014. Came to St. Louis here in 2013. Right. Came yeah. in 2013. Yeah. Greg Smith was pastor, yeah. and um, you were you were definitely a, a friend. We had known each other since Back in Dale Myers' mm-hmm. fourth year preaching class. Yep. Um, there's there's such a long story. If we if we told the whole uh, Clater Haupt saga, uh, it would we'd yeah. have to like. Yeah have one of those special accounts where you can like say the rest of the interview yeah, is sure. on our Patreon. Yeah. That's, that's all right though. Well, in some ways we are both here because of each other. Yeah. Um, yeah in some true. ways I think like, yeah, you were, your, your wife was instrumental in my even my call here. Right. So anyway, right. she was on the call for committee. another day. So yeah. classmates here at the seminary. Kind of. Um, so I, I was I was on the you know like the five or six year plan the because, normal plan um, I get it I did took the him a little longer year of Germany yeah. right um, special yeah. the, the academic plan but he started a year after I did oh yeah so we ended up in fourth year preaching class the together. same graduating class yeah, yeah cool yeah. but but different Concordias though I went to Concordia St Paul Minnesota yeah. yep for sure yeah, yeah so tell us uh, tell us a little bit about the the story right that's something that we're always interested in hearing the story of how you became a pastor. I know that's, well, I know a lot of that story. It begins but. in uh, 1849. Yep. Yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> He's not kidding, <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I uh, well, now this is public, but I, I don't always tell this story, but I don't know, people know. Um, I am a sixth generation Missouri Synod pastor. So there is an unbroken line of Clater men for six generations since 1849. Mm. My great, great, great grandfather was one of Leia's Zendlinge, one of his mm. sent pastors from Germany to the United States. He came to Michigan and then from there actually took, kind of answered the call to Native American missions to the Ojibwe people in northern Minnesota, yeah. built a cabin. Um, had a bunch of kids. He had a wife too, and a bunch of kids <laughs> in the cabin. And uh, 
reach Native American uh, population. It was really hard, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. um, for nine years, he was on the frontier yeah. and then finished his ministry as a parish pastor in southern Minnesota. So it goes all the way back to 1849 in my family, um, which in some ways in my story, and I don't know, you know whoever's listening or watching, that may seem kind of, that's abnormal. That's not normal. Um, but there may be a lot of people who have maybe a, a pastor as a dad or something. Um, but for me, it's a, it's a long story. And I was actually kind of ashamed of that um, because I felt like it was just sort of uh, expected. And I didn't want people to think it was expected. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until, well, probably 10 or 12 years ago, I was already a pastor. And um, I have a good Irish missionary friend from Ireland, Robert Miller. And Robert was Robert grew up in a gang, uh, Ireland, um, Northern Ireland, was in a gang, was an addict. Like all, he has this amazing story of turning to Christ mm. um, and conversion as a 20-something. And I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous of your story. I wish I had your story. And he turned and yelled at me. He goes, Jeff, in his Irish accent, yeah. how dare you? Your ancestors prayed for you. That their, that their children's children would follow the Lord and some would answer the call to be pastors, and you are an answer to their prayer. And how dare you? And I was like, okay, Whoa. <laughs> I'm going to claim my story now. And, uh, I, I think well, it's remarkable uh, yeah. of six generations. Uh, so people ask me, well, now my dad is a pastor, but he became a pastor after I was ordained. I, I preached at his ordination, um, and so I, I don't have... That, that family, like especially that lineage, I have an uncle who's married to my mom's sister who's a pastor, but again, not necessarily my ancestor. And so people ask me about my sons, and at first I'm like, well, I don't know. But then I stop and thinking about like, well, yeah, of course, if that's what God leads them to, I, I would absolutely encourage it and try not to help them prepare because that might put them off. I don't know. Uh, but, but on Dorothy's side, her family has a kind of a similar thing. And I remember like, at first kind of being intimidated by that because again, mm -hmm. expectations and stuff like that. Uh, but then I was like, you know what, it, it's, it's fine because we all have different stories. We all have uh, different ways of, of coming here. I, and I think that's a beautiful thing. And so hearing somebody say that, because you didn't say that um, it was like the Perry, Perry County settlement, your Leia Zenlinga, that lineage, which is slightly different, uh, which I think, is, I think is cool. People don't always appreciate history. And I love it. So yeah. that's yeah. cool. And and so you have a blog, right? Um, that that ties into the sixth gen. Tell yeah, us about that. Sixthgen.com. You know, thank you for bringing that up. I haven't posted since I took a sabbatical this last summer and I have not restarted writing again. But mm. yeah, sixthgen.com. It's been a place for me to kind of just trial run stuff that is working in the parish that I'm already kind of doing in the parish and just throwing it out there. So kind of for my people, but over the years, it's kind of gathered another community around that too. Yeah. So, And what I appreciate about it is you, you don't, um, you, you don't have a, a schedule where you just have to pump out content. <laughs> you, you put stuff out when you, uh, when you've landed on an idea that's worth writing about. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's, it's been events that have prompted, uh, something. So, kind of the the people of the congregation are asking for a reflection on on a particular event sometimes it's just um jeff's latest learnings yeah i just um, had this but thought i wanted to share it yeah um everybody i think today in today's digital world everybody feels like they have to build a platform and i just see it as an extension of my ministry i don't it's not my job well pastoral ministry is but it's not my job to uh, produce content or build a platform yeah. it's just to, i just see an extension of a personal relationship mm. 
And so, yeah, when I feel like throwing something out there, and sometimes it's more consistent, sometimes it's not. But it's created a lot of dialogue, certainly with my people, but then uh, even beyond that, it's created relationships and dialogue um, through that medium. Yeah, and it's a, it's a place where, I mean, obviously you are a content creator. You preach every single week almost. Um, that's where the people of God at Christ Memorial are paying you for that content. <laughs> um, and uh, by the way, you should, you should check out uh, Pastor Jeff's preaching um, on CMSTL. Uh, what's the website? I, I don't know. CMSTL.org. I <laughs> yeah. don't know. YouTube, something. Find him. He is, um, I, and I'm not just saying this because he's here, but um, Jeff's preaching is, is extraordinary. I've used it in some of my preaching classes. Sure. Um, and it's what I like about it is it's crystal clear. Um, it's it's um, it's accessible for anybody, and yet it always is full of theological in- integrity, and it really takes people uh, deeper into the scriptures. Sure, Th- that ends my public you're, service you're announcement too for uh, too kind. Jeff Glader's preaching. Uh, I was gonna say something about you know trying to get in a little extra with your pastor, but yeah. Uh, Moving so, on. Next question. It, well, so sixth gen um, expectations, but but I imagine even still for you, uh, there is still a process to it. Or or had you from a, a youth uh, always just kind of you know directed yourself this way? Yeah, um, I'm weird, and it was kind of not expected. So you know, my dad's a pastor; he's retired now. Um, so on the one hand, there's the lineage and heritage, which I, di- I didn't think much about as a kid. Why, you know, why would you? It was right. only later that I kind of, that dawned on me. Very simply, I just looked at my dad and I said, I want to do that. I got to see it from the inside. And I'm like, I want to do that. Um, I love Jesus. I, w- I care about people. I want to do that. And I, I think that's translatable, whether you have a long lineage or not. Hopefully, you know, many, many who might be listening in here, you have somebody in your life that you've said, I want to be like that. Right. I want to be that kind of person and that kind of pastor or church worker. What what's is such a, a wonderful thing. I mean, it, I don't think it goes. It, it necessarily falls on a person to person because he, I mean, you could have been radically different as a kid. I mean, character wise, personality wise, soul wise. Well, I, I won't say the character part because it's a little more formative. Uh, but you know, I, I so talking about my kids when I like. Because me and Dorothy are very hospitable. We welcome people into our homes. And when our kids get into public, they're like that. And that's something that we're very intentional uh, in our children's character. And yet, uh, because my calls have been slightly different than a, a normal parish pastor, and uh, I travel for work, uh, and my work takes us to a lot of different congregations and things like that oftentimes. If you were to ask Johnny, my oldest, if he wants to be a pastor, he would say no. And part of it is just because of interest. Uh, a good friend of ours is now an architect, and Johnny likes Minecraft, and now he's stuck on being coming an architect, which he's a math whiz and he's a science whiz, like I was when I was a kid. He could very well become those things and hopefully maybe change his mind when he becomes an adult. But I think it's that if I were in a parish and uh, our lives were a little more consistent, I think what your dad was able to model for you as a kid and for you able to look and see, say, I want that, uh, isn't interesting and I think really powerful and something that we should all keep in mind, especially when we have children as pastors or children in general. Uh, but my but Johnny's relating to my travel schedule and the inconsistency, and I'm I'm hoping that as he grows, that he learns that being a pastor isn't necessarily what I do on a day to day basis for the seminary. Just because again, he has the heart for it, and he has the character for it, and he's such a caring little man. I'm like, man, 
I know you say no now, buddy, but the, the world would be mightily blessed if, if you would think about it someday. So well, anyway, I think that's cool that again, even from, so, so everybody answers that question differently that you have this heritage, uh, that you were just, you looked at your dad and was like, that's what I want to do. And so you went to a Concordia. We've already mentioned that Concordia St. Paul, which is another wonderful one. I want to, I want to ask before we get to okay. uh, college and seminary, um, what was it like? I, I don't know that we've ever talked with a guest about this, but, um, talking with a PK a pastor's oh. kid, um, what was it like moving around your, your dad had a couple of different calls, right? And so, um, you moved with, with him, you moved with your parents. Um, what, what was that experience like? Uh, how mo- did it shape you? The most formative one was, uh, so I grew up in the back of beyond in the middle of nowhere, upper peninsula of Michigan. And, uh, you know, it was a great place to grow up as a kid. Halfway through high school, my dad had a call to central Minnesota, uh, about an hour from the Twin Cities. I wouldn't call it, uh, it certainly was a lot bigger, a lot more people, kind of a suburban context, a community of about 100,000. So um, when he got that call, I remember him asking me, because I was 16, uh, 15 or 16, and he asked me, hey, I have this call. And he had had other calls before, but he asked me, and he said, what do you think? This is really, you're going to be really critical in this decision for me. What do you think? And I remember before there were calls that came, and I would, I would kind of tell him no. This one, and I, don't, I, I can't remember. This is a long time ago. But I just remember telling him, I think it would be okay. Hmm. And that was, I think that was the, the tipping point where he took that call. Um, it was really hard, certainly in the middle of high school, to move. Uh, lost all friends, had to start over again. And that was really formative for me, though, because I was exposed to new opportunity, a bigger school, more things to do, new friends. Um, learning what it means to be an outsider was formative in that year mm-hmm. and actually has helped my ministry now. Um, working with, maybe we'll talk about working with uh, immigrants, refugees, yeah. minority populations. Um, it really opened my eyes to just what it is to be an outsider in a community. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the providence of God, it was perfect. It wasn't easy, but it was what I needed it was formative. Was was that also at the time of uh, I you you might have seen me kind of starting to giggle because this question is forming in my mind as you were talking about fifteen or sixteen year old Jeff. Uh, is is that the moment where you had headgear? Oh yeah, um, I had headgear. Um, so you're coming into a new big thick glasses. New high school. Uh, my hair was um, yeah, just like big puffy hair. It's all skinny kid. Um, and then there were rumors too, like this kid from this is the days of Fab Five, the Michigan Wolverines. Oh, right. And they're like, this kid is coming from Michigan. He plays basketball. Is what the rumor was going around. Well, Michigan, like the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, it's like its own state. Right. And rural Michigan and the woods and a mining community and then. Like they're, they're guessing like six foot eight and, you know, dominating. And I showed up and they're like, that's it. That's <laughs> it, you. But anyway, I did play basketball and that was a, that was an in. I made the yeah. team and yeah. uh, that's how I made friends yeah. and connected. Wow. That's a, that's a formative experience. And I, I think, um, especially if we're, if we have some second career uh, listeners that are thinking about ministry, one of the, uh, I know, in just uh, having deliberated a call this spring, the first thing that you think about is what would this what would this be like for my kids? Mm-hmm. Um, and even just uh, before you know thinking about moving for a, a call is moving to the seminary. Uh, what's what's that going to be like for the kids? And so you're saying, even in high school, it didn't it didn't mess you up. In fact, maybe it maybe it uh, that's what propelled I'm, yes. you. 
to for me, um, but I don't. I wouldn't underplay. Oh man, that is a huge decision. Right. But I would say I've thought. So I've been in one place for a long time. I'm yep. in my 18th year in one place, which is beautiful. I've thought every now and again, maybe I should move my family. Is Wait, there something? 18 to that? years, not at Christ Memorial. Wait, didn't you say 2014? No, of course. You were already the past 2004. Yeah. 2005, 2005. I, uh, I was I, called there. And I've just been in different roles in the same 2014 place. is when you became the senior pastor. Yes, right. There we go. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible, though. Again, it's one of those things, 18 years in one place. Now that's so rare that um, in some ways you, you, you are, again, kind of a, a unique thing. Sixth-gen pastor, that's unique. But a pastor that has been for 18 years at the same congregation, there are there are actually very few pastors yeah. today that can say that, especially in our generation, right? I mean, I I think of our friends, our our classmates. There's, I don't yeah. know, I don't know. When I came out of seminary, many. I remember admiring the pastors that took a call every two three years, and I'm like, wow, they must be really good. <laughs> now, and I I want to be careful when I say this. Now, like maybe something's wrong with them if they're moving every two or three years. Um, but I was just at some, I was talking to Ben about this, I was at some monasteries this summer, I was on a sabbatical, and I did some retreat at monasteries. And one of the vows in most monasteries is the vow of stability mm. that monks take to a particular community. And stability means I am vowing to live in this community until I die. And what the vow of stability does is it keeps you from running when things get hard. It's carrying the cross when things get hard in a community. I'm not saying that a pastor has to be in one place for a long time, but there is a beauty to a commitment to a particular people and a particular place for a long period of time. Yeah, that I mean, that's something that, that crosses my mind. So uh, this is, I, I'm, I've been a pastor for a grand almost six and a half years. And my first call to Ferguson uh, was was challenging, was beautiful, was hard. It, it was it was the entire bag, right? Um, and I, I ended up taking a call right around three years, which is typical for your first call, right? Micah, as you're saying this, I'm, I wasn't talking about you, by oh, the way. Oh, no, no, no. no not <laughs> Maybe at there's all. something wrong with you. It, it could be. It, well, I guess we'll find out in time. Uh, but it was it's one of these things that I accepted a call to Lutheran Ministries. I remember getting there saying, okay, like, now I'm at Lutheran Ministries. Let me lean into this, and I'm going to be very committed to this and see where this goes and how my you know career as a pastor, church worker develops there. And then a, a grand, like, seven months into it, Ben is like, will you come to the seminary? Um, it, it, and we could talk about that story a lot, but I remember in in this discernment process when me and Ben, uh, the first shot around, I, I did tell the seminary no, and then me and Ben got to know each other a little bit more, and then a second call came around. And then, uh, you know, talking with Dorothy, my wife, what does this mean for you? What does it mean for the kids? All these other things and all these different questions. Uh, well, obviously, I ended up accepting the call. And then in the middle of it, we, we sold our house and we moved to the campus. And that was another thing. What does it mean? Because, you know, it, it is one of these things to be a PK. But then I think if you talk to seminary kids, people who grew up on this campus, they have a different perspective as well. Uh, and then people ask me about I, – I get asked – Fairly frequently. I always tell Ben, because we're, we're friends, of people asking me to consider a call out of here. But what I'm getting at is the stability thing. I tell people all the time, I'm like, of course I'm open to any call, an actual call. If you're asking me over the phone if I'm open to a call, well, I'm not on any call list. So take that for what it's worth. But if you go through the process of doing the work and extend me a call, if you, I mean, I, that's our theology of the call. I'll consider it. Uh, but I also tell people that it, it, if the seminary would have me, 
I could see my career like retiring from this place someday. That's how much I feel committed to the work that we're doing here now in recruiting. Now, at some point, I'll be too irrelevant to be the director of recruitment, and hopefully the city mayor will figure out something else for me to do. But but I, I'm getting at what I understand what you mean for the stability, because there are a lot of challenges to recruiting new church workers and things like that, and I just want to see it through as long as I'm useful. So I, I agree with that. I think it's remarkable. He's, he, he, he learned how to carry the cross last year. You, um, did you make him take the vow of stability? So he's, oh, he's, here, he's, huh? he's taking it. He's taking it. In Luther Tower, yeah, in blood. That's right. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. In the basement. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, we're, um, I, I, I mean, we're, we're committed to this. And um, he, he and I talk all the time about uh, these other possible things because there, are, there is such a need in our church body. And um, because... Micah and I have a tendency to be out and about with other congregations and at conferences. Yeah. Um, it, it's easy to for people to say, "Ooh, how about?" Right. But <laughs> our work is really important, so yeah. so we keep at it. But I'm I'm really grateful that you are um, that that you've been at Christ Memorial for the long haul. So let's talk a little bit about that. Your ministry at Christ Memorial, right? So you, you go through, um, well, we could go back to uh, Concordia St. Paul. Is there anything that you want to say about Concordia St. Paul? Some of our listeners might be uh, younger, like high school, thinking about mm-hmm. even what college to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was great for me at Concordia St. Paul was the, um, the very diverse and urban experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Twin Cities are a, a one of the 10 immigration gateway cities in America. So it's incredibly diverse. There are more Sudanese that live in uh, the Twin Cities than anywhere in the world outside of Sudan, for instance, or Somalia. Um, And you could go down the list. And so that was uh, very formative for me to live because that that school is positioned right in between Minneapolis and St. Paul. So uh, that uh, was a formative experience for me in in terms of diversity relating to different people and has formed me for what I'm doing today. Uh, Again... there's there's an episode about the differences between the Concordias, but also the similarities. Um, well, and, and again, the answer of of how you what led you to become a pastor again, I, I think that's the briefest one. And again, I think there's a, a lot of beauty into your story there. So shifting, so is I imagine that uh, Christ Memorial isn't your first call, or is it your first call? Yeah. So I was called out of seminary to Christ Memorial. I did not want to go there. Um, There were other places that I thought I was going to be. I had interviews with other churches. Uh, It was a classic example of I was called to a place I did not want to be. And uh, I honestly wrestled with that. There was maybe some situational depression for a while. I thought I was getting out of St. Louis. Because of the nature of the call, kind uh, of, right? Kind of the, nothing against the congregation. I, I had my mind, uh, Concordia St. Paul, my time fieldwork in St. Louis was also, as you guys know, um, urban and uh, cross-cultural. So I really kind of thought, oh, I could do that. And there was a couple other possibilities. So when my name was read in the chapel uh, in front of 1,000 people, I just forced a smile and shook hands and walked out. Um, the thing that gave me comfort later is somebody said, well, if, if you're called to a place that you don't want to go, it's probably a divine call. It's mm. not one of your own making. You didn't manufacture it yourself. I took, that was my one comfort at the time. I was married. I, we were expecting our first child, so I had a lot. There were other things, too, just uh, in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it, I was called to a place that was relocating from a traditional 
church building to a former target target retail space right that also freaked me out i'm like what kind of church is this i was in a uh, traditional building for two months right as they were moving i mean it was completely overwhelming and uh so i'm 26 years old um i looked like i was 17. i was gonna I, say you still look like you're 17. i walked I, uh, into i'm much older i am 82 on the inside <laughs> at the time i was probably 53 on the inside yeah. But I walk in, the, after call day, I walk in just to meet the, the church or the, the staff or in the office, and the secretary thought I was a confirmation student. <laughs> and she went to go get like Sounds a confirmation good. report. Yeah, like, are you acolyting this week? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was uh, hard to begin. It was overwhelming. It's largely a blur in my memory. Um, but God has a way of doing things in uh, the unexpected. And, uh, and over time, I grew to love these people and love this place. I'm not a native of St. Louis, but St. Louis is now my town, yeah. and I will bleed for this place. Uh, we have our problems and our warts, and Micah, you, you, you've grown up here. Know him well. Um, and, uh, but we're committed. That's, that's exactly why we're here, because it is not a utopia. And so I started as a primary associate pastor, youth ministry. Um, I kind of planted a church a couple years later with some young adults that is like another site of our church today called Reliant on the St. Louis University uh, medical campus. Um, so I just did different things, youth ministry, associate pastor stuff, church planting, senior pastor. So one place, one people, but shifting roles uh, about every five years. So I'm kind of looking now like, what? I don't want to go anywhere, but now what, what's next? Right. Shift roles. Plan a new church. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Working on it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there we go. I saw, yeah. I, so I've I've been to Christ Memorial. Um, it, you know, it's interesting, right? So because you mentioned, I grew up in St. Louis. I grew up in Ferguson. Same, similar kind of thing. Um, you know, you you start in your fourth year. You start interviewing people. You start hearing potential of where you could be. And I remember somebody saying, "We're trying to do something in Ferguson." Mike is from there. Uh, not not the sole reason, but like also not white. And given the context of what was going on, it did help. And I remember thinking, I, listen, I grew up there. I went to seminary. I've done my time in St. Louis. Dorothy isn't from here. She has no necessary roots here. We wanted to, we're, we're both wanderers. So we wanted to experience something new. Um, and then now that we have kids and we're raising them here, it's the same different thing for her than it is for me, but it's home happy to raise our kids here. We have deep roots here. Uh, but just kind of that um, Christ Memorial again, I've only been to the, the Target, the former Target building. It's no longer a Target building. Now it's a congregation and a church building. And uh, an incredible pizza. <laughs> you serve pizza at Christ Memorial? No, they they um they're oh Christ Memorial. Yes. Sorry, uh, we're, I was like, we're tenants. I was like Jeff, I, I I preach, bro. You guys <laughs> shortchanged me. I did not get pizza when I was That's there. Right, yeah, but I, I didn't get pizza. But it was it's one of those things. And so what I'm getting at is it, it, it's you're there the space because you guys needed the space for the ministry you guys got going on there. And I remember preaching Saturday, and I think you guys have three services at Christ Memorial on a Sunday. Then after the last one, I preached, and everybody was like, all right, now you got to jump in your car and, and drive over to Reliant. And I, I walked in, I grabbed a coffee, and they they were singing a song, so nobody paid attention to me. And they looked up like, oh, yeah, now Mike is here. He's going to come preach. And I was like, oh, all right. I just – You're I, on. I admire the fact that you guys can do that. Because, you know, people I, – I don't, I don't know. I, everybody has a different mindset of preaching. Um, but 
to to do that on a weekly basis, and I know you don't do it every week, but it's just part of the the regiment of uh, Christ Memorial. Because I I wasn't a part of planning it, I might have done it a little bit differently. But how does that mechanically come together? I mean, think about your ministry, and we're jumping all over the place with Christ Memorial. But I'm just thinking about I don't want to call it a machine, but the the mechanism of uh, being a pastor to church uh, that large. But then we're also going to eventually talk about how close you guys are. But just that large, and, and how do you piece that together, and how does it work so well? I don't know if it works well. Well, it, from um, a visitor's perspective, it, it... Yeah, so I don't know. We're, we're a larger church, but I, I see us as a, as a collection of small churches. Each, oh. con- each uh, worship service is its own little congregation, yeah. so we really see it that way. That's why when a preacher's on, if you've done the prep, we try to maximize that. We usually have two preachers a weekend at two locations, but sometimes we try to maximize that prep because we think local live preaching is best. Some churches in that instance might do video preaching, but um, we are digging into highly local, highly relational ministry, especially now on the other side of kind of pandemic. Um, You can find great preaching online anywhere. Um, So I think it's only accented the need for super contextual, super local ministry, Mm. um, face-to-face, where people are known and know. And so we have to then build systems where we can make sure that we can, in some ways, you kind of scale. How do you scale that, um, that local ministry? And so we have a team, great people that kind of make that happen. Yeah, Plus it's the great one, BW, as I call him, Bobby yeah. Walston, well, another, he, another Cowboys fan. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, Christ Memorial is kind of this, um, I mean, it's a, it's a very large church. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the mega churches of the LCMS, and yet... Um, in so many ways, it feels like a small church. Yeah. So um, I, I go to the Reliant site, um, which is a, a, it's a small worshiping community of, um, I don't know, 100, 125 at tops kind of on a weekend. Um, and we all know each other. We're, we relate, of course, to Christ Memorial, but we also have kind of our local um, we have a site pastor, Pastor Nathan, um, and um, yeah, it's it, it works it works very well because it's it is this congregation of smaller congregations. Um, well, yeah. And, yeah, again, just as a an outsider, at least to the congregation being there, I I never would have been able to tell you how many people were at. Christ Memorial, because of what you just said, like exactly, like even in interactions with people, um, first time meeting people, I'm, I'm assuming they knew a guest preacher was coming and they knew my name and things like that. So it very much felt like home. Uh, the culture there is is really great. And so you get your call, go from old, I don't want to say old church building, but old church building, because that's what it was and that's what it became for your congregation. You go to Target, you guys build it out, you renovate it. Uh, you're the associate pastor, you're doing youth ministry, eventually you, you take on the senior leadership role. Um, and so what was that transition like? Because you, again, you've seen, you went, you came in big transition, did kind of personal transitions, and then transition from that to senior pastor. And scale-wise, it's, it's probably a big undertaking, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so like people watching or listening will kind of get this probably too, but I think there are different Ministry is ministry. The gospel is the gospel. We get that. Um, but there are also different ways, uh, different pastoral muscles to flex, different gears to run in. And so, I mean, if you're a chaplain in the Navy, yeah. uh, 
that's different than a local parish, but rural or whatever. So I've just had to function and build up different pastoral muscles. So I'm at a phase now where I am, I, I always want to keep a toe on the front line. So people, visiting people, I still do some youth ministry. I still, you know, make visits and stuff, but I've had kind of a sadness actually, is I, I just can't do that as much. I'm more now a leader of leaders who do that. Mm-hmm. So it's the, there's an old saying, I can do the work of 10 people, or I can train 10 people to do the work. Right. So now I'm functioning at that level uh, of being a pastor, of pastoring um, other pastors, or not just pastors, but pastoring other staff or lay leaders uh, or potential leaders. And so that is now my calling in ministry. It's less I do every hospital visit or I do every service. It, it's a, a different mode. And so I think just for people listening or watching in, like there, there are so, there's a diversity of modes in which you can operate in ministry. And some of that, will, God will reveal it over time, which, you know, what gear you run in and, and in what season, because generally in our, there'll be different seasons of ministry too. Yeah, I was just, um, you actually put me onto this. The, um, I did not, have not listened to all the uh, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill but the the last episode with Tim Keller, I just uh, listened to this weekend and uh, got just a little flavor of that that podcast um, and all the problems that are surrounded by celebrities and the potential dangers, right, of being at a certain level where you're training the trainer and and um, in so many ways, um, though you're at that level, uh, what I've appreciated you articulating. Um, sometimes kind of behind the scenes is that um, that was never something that you were like striving for. Um, we There isn't a cult of personality at Christ Memorial. Um, I mean, I would say you preach at Reliant maybe once a month. Yep. Um, and and the everything just keeps right on going. I mean, you planted that congregation and then... Um, so that is, um, that's a really good thing because there are these temptations to get to a certain level and kind of create a brand and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you've, you've act- actively kind of pushed against some of that. Um, having said all that, um, <laughs> I'm going to, uh, to flip the script and talk, talk about your book. And <laughs> we, we, listen, we, we're, you, I think we're being particularly hard on Jeff as, yeah. as much, many gears as we're switching, but you're keeping up. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, but you did write a book. Yeah. Do you have the QR code at the bottom of the screen? R- right, 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 right okay. here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, but you, uh, it, it was in many ways just an outgrowth of, uh, it's kind of like the blog, right? You, it wasn't like, I, I must write a book. It sort of slowly bubbled up out of just stuff that you were doing at Christ Memorial, especially after you, you transitioned into this new role of, of senior pastor. So loved and sent, two words, um, pretty simple. The first time I, I heard, about, heard those two words, I kind of thought, I don't, I don't know, Are, is it that profound? Loved <laughs> and sent? I, I, I kind of don't get it. And um, yeah, uh, those words have been kind of planted deep in my heart, my life, um, our, our church's life. So tell us a little bit about Loved and Sent. 
Well, at the time, it was the the simple church. That book was really popular. I don't know, you know, fifteen years ago or whatever. Yep. And so everybody, and it distilled everything you do in ministry down to three words. And I was like, I'm going to do it in two. <laughs> um, but it was kind of, uh, yeah, it was an outgrowth of ten years of ministry. Yeah. It was ten years of ministry, and I thought I keep repeating some things, or I'm I'm finding this in my people. These words are bubbling up communally. It was uh, it was. Uh, a communal effort. It was not one man. It was a community. We're discovering what God wants us to do in this place. And quite frankly, it was a simple way to talk about something that's, you know, if you come to seminary, you're going to learn about two kinds of righteousness. Mm-hmm. In some way, that kind of that, uh, loved, it's the passive before God, the gospel, um, who you are apart from what you can do by grace. Um, but then you don't just sit there. Now there's this horizontal realm in which you live, and sent was a word that kind of captured that, that spirit of vocation and mission. And um, those words, too, kind of bubbled up because they are certainly found in the Bible. You can find those words in the Bible, but they also are crossover words. Mm. So that our uh, people outside of the scope of Christianity or the church, uh, they're neutral words to them. And so we could take a word that was easily accessible to somebody and then spend a lifetime on it. Um, And so that's where it really stuck with our people. So it became kind of the paradigm for our Christian life. We are loved by God and Jesus. And then from that love, we are sent by him into the world. Um, John's gospel is probably the, the one that where that comes out the clearest, so that was kind of a foundation for it. And now to this day, I mean, if uh, I don't know if people know our technical mission statement that's on the Constitution, but a two-year-old or a 92-year-old can say, oh, these, these two words are, in our, you know, we're loved and sent. That's my mm. church. Um, I don't think I know the mission statement. I don't know the Constitution. <laughs> so, yeah. I thought you were going to ask me as a member. No, I don't know <laughs> yeah. the mission statement. Um, but children to adults can know, can be like, this is kind of my church. So, you know, if you're in a conversation with somebody, uh, I remember there was a, we did a, a service day, kind of, a, it's like a one day mini mission trip. We call it our Love Sent Servant event, and we kind of deploy our people across St. Louis in one day. And uh, I remember at the end of the day, some kid came back, or the mom came back and said, yeah, my son went to the, we went to the fire department to serve them, I don't know, something. We served the fire de- local fire department. And uh, this kid went up and he said, hey, to the firefighters, he's like, I'm loved by God and I've been sent to you. <laughs> and he's like, he just, yeah, he just knows it. So yeah, it's something that like, and there are some things that like you, it's a fad or you, you get it for a while and then you move on. This is stuck. It's like an auger. We just yeah. keep kind of digging deeper and deeper in it. And so, uh, yeah, we're not, it's like the vow of stability. We're not going to leave it. We're going to live with uh, the gospel and mission for a long time. One of the, one of the things that I've really appreciated about it, which is, a, a it's helped me to really think through this phenomenon of, uh, we live in such a mobile society, especially mm. younger people, um, who are trying to get established in a career and they're going to schools that St. Louis has a lot of schools right in town. Um, so we, we get a lot of um, younger people in the congregation who eventually move. And I think a lot of congregations, when, when somebody that's become kind of a pillar and then, and then they move to a new place, there's this sort of, uh, like, oh, our vice president or oh, our, uh, one of our Sunday school teachers or the, the person who is leading our building campaign or whatever, they're leaving. There's going to be a hole in our ministry. Um, but at Christ Memorial, you've taken that and kind of flipped it. Um, so, so what is the um, 
tell us a little bit about oh, what you do with yeah, we, people we who learned. are leaving the congregation and how loved and sent kind of uh, reshaped the thinking. We learned that. the we come by the word sent the hard way, and uh, particularly and it bubbled up at Reliant, which is a very mobile community: college students, grad students, young professionals that come and go, and we were we were devastated every time somebody would leave. We're just trying to start this ministry and people come and go. And uh, so there was, a, there was kind of an epiphany moment where we realized this is actually who we are. We're not losing them, we're sending them. It's a horrible model for church growth, um, <laughs> but it's kind of biblical. So you gain by losing, yeah. um, you win by sending away. And so we just, instead of kind of grieving it, we adopted it. So now every time somebody leaves, we actually send them. We call them up and we commission them. Uh, with prayer and blessing, and uh, we started to, and then we actually lost track. We started to keep track of where everybody was sent on a map. We'd put right. a pin, and we lost track, and so now we don't even know, you know where everybody goes. But um, it's, a, it's an incubation period. We realize, in, in that community at least, we have a short time with people, and if we can grow them in Christ in a particular way to be that kind of a Christian, then in a local church, wherever they go, we want them to be a blessing to the church at large. And we do that Christ Memorial, too. There's there's some transitory nature there as well. And, and here's an, a kind of a fun way that Loved and Sent has kind of grown. So uh, just the opposite of like Jeff Clater kind of creating this brand and then creating kind of a strategic plan of like, here's how we're going to get Loved and Sent to like be dispersed and send it out so that we can build this huge uh, corporation or whatever. Um, just the opposite. Uh, some of the people that you had sent said... Um, Hey, can can we use loved and sent at our new congregation? Um, and and uh, that this even happened with somebody overseas, right? So that there are a couple of loved and sent communities that just sort of uh, just sort of happen, right? Yeah, there's a church in Buffalo, New York, in the Bay Area. Like if you go to their website, uh, it's loved and sent, and so they and that's actually created a community with us. Like we. We have a national circuit. Is, Those words are the binding is words. Is the Bay Area Dawit's church? Yep, Dawit, yeah, yeah, yeah. and another one, Paul uh, Schultz at Redeemer in Redwood City. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, well, Dawit works with us. He's yeah. one of our student recruitment, yeah. but I love Dawit. Yeah. He's, he's translated into Tigrinya, sure. so loved and sent in Tigrinya. Yeah. Yeah. He's a remarkable guy. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but so an introduction to your book is how I, I formally met... Uh, Jeff, first I almost called you Ben, and then I, I was like, Ben's right here. Rolodex, yeah. Rolodex of names. Uh, but He's it was been at, on the road so much. Late that, afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It was it was uh, at best practices. You kind of uh, you know gave a, a presentation based off the book and your experience, and you were sharing stories, and then you gave a copy to everybody. Which is if you if you become an author and you want people to read your book, I think the best way, at least originally, is just just give it to them because that's that's nice. You know, books can be expensive. I'm, I don't think Loved and Sent is probably expensive at all. I don't know because I didn't have to buy it. Uh, but I just remember, again, because it was young in ministry, fresh out, and, like, you know, in Ferguson trying to connect with people and, and you know, just trying to be a pastor, but people were struggling with things and trying to meet them where they needed to be met. And uh, even for me, you know, you go through seminary, it's not like the, your education ends there. And just that simple little book, not that it's I mean, it's, it's, it's not a long book, and it's, it's an easy read, which I think is good, because it's simple in reading, but deep in content really helped me rethink about my ministry at the time, and what I was there to do, and how I was meant to serve the people that 
were there because I didn't have a congregation. I didn't have a, a gathering of people. I was in a building uh, with the Urban League, and it was very often a different person in my office on, on a daily basis just trying to get some encouragement. And so it was, how can I love this person today so that as they go on and maybe I never see them again, that they at least know the one thing I want them to know when they leave my office is that they're loved by God. Uh, and so I, it, it was just, it, the, the, the presentation at Best Practices kind of grabbed onto me, reading the book really took a hold. And so I, I, I point people to Love Scent all the time just because it's, it, anybody can relate to it. And I think it's yeah, remarkable because if of that. If I could add something, this is not so much about the book, but I'm just trying to think about who's on the other side of this kind of listening to us now. Yeah. And I think if you're thinking about coming to seminary or you think about any kind of professional church work, the, the important questions that always have had to be answered um, that, that I'm getting at it in Loved and Sent that are especially important today are identity and purpose. Yep. Who am I? What is my purpose? Those are universal human questions. And so... Loved and sent is a way to answer that. Your, your identity is you are loved by God in Jesus Christ. That's your identity as a baptized child of God. Your, your purpose is vocational and, and uh, missional, uh, the Great Commission, Great Commandment. So um, I just, if, if you have a love for people and you really care about them, you want to walk with them as they answer those questions, especially today. People are just desperate Very. for who am I and why yeah. am I? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they may not vocalize those questions like out loud, but they're trying to you know, curate a self on Instagram because they're trying to build up an identity or they're trying to, to be super successful in business or in academics because this is, I have to be somebody. And so I think we have a great opportunity as the church to, to offer a different kind of answer to identity and purpose. And, and um, I think that that identity and purpose, um, Luther was all about, uh, we use a little Latin phrase, extra nos, a right. uh, little shout out to flame, right? <laughs> um, so something that's outside of us, that's what extra nos means. And um, one of the great, the great ways to get, to get a clarity on what your identity and purpose is, is to have somebody outside of you somebody that knows you well, speak that into your life. Um, So you've said to me a couple of times, you're uniquely qualified for this. I've I've had, um, all pastors have every 10 days or so, they they decide I'm going to go, you know, do something else. I'm going to go be a, you know, cryptocurrency salesman or something. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Start a blockchain. Um, But but you have, um, you've reminded me as my pastor um, know you're uniquely qualified for this. And it speaks to that identity and purpose. Um, and I, I think uh, I would say to, to our listeners, be listening for what other people say. I talk to so many prospective students that get all wrapped up in their own head and in their own mm-hmm. life, and they're trying to, to figure out what their identity and what their purpose is. And the more they think about it internally, the more tangled up they get. And what's been helpful in my life is listening to my pastor tell sure. me, no, uh, <laughs> I know that you're going through a, a tough time or whatever, but you're uniquely qualified. Do this. So listen to your pastor. Mm. Um, that's, that's why God gives us pastors and church workers in our life. Yeah, yeah. I've spent yeah. some time with... Catholics recently, and interesting with Catholics, like 
the, a priest doesn't just get to do what he wants, or if you're a member of a monastic community, you don't get to just go wherever you want. Right. You have to. Your abbot has to tell you you can go, or your bishop, your archbishop, gets. You don't just get to take a call. So obviously, we're not a hierarchical. That's not our community. But I think we maybe sometimes flip to the other side where it's like, well, whatever I feel like doing. Yeah. And so you know, for those listening in here, we we talk about the internal and the external call. Right. Now, the internal, I think that that's probably much more American, like how do I feel or do I have a passion for this? And that's, you know, there's a degree to which we measure that prayerfully. And, but it, it should also be accompanied by somebody telling you do or don't do this. And so, yeah, listen to outside of you. Yeah. 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 So I, good. I mean, even, so I, I just spent um, a few days, a uh, part of my job in recruiting, I, I recruit at high schools, uh, which are their own little mini contexts. And I was at, at Faith Lutheran in Las Vegas, which uh, is the largest Lutheran high school in the country, associated with the LCMS for a variety of different reasons. Uh, but but every time I go to a high school, you know, I, and I I'm not surprised by it. kids look at me, and there are certain characteristics about me that they're surprised that I'm a pastor. Sometimes I, it's probably mostly the tattoos. Fair. Um, and it just creates this moment for it's identity. It's the sneakers. It's definitely the sneakers. You know, I I am a little too hip to be a pastor. That yeah, also exactly. is very possible. But also, you know, I asked, I was like, do any of your pastors have twos? And maybe one, did I say pastors have twos, two-year-olds, no tattoos? And a couple, it's I thought that was the new, the new thing to call tattoos, nah. and I was just like, oh, I didn't, nah. I didn't, get, I didn't catch <laughs> you that. You are so that's, old. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm always taking notes like, oh, my God, said that. My God, did that. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm slowly fading away, man. I am not as hip as I used to be, and I, 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 it's, it's, it's exhausting to stay with it. Anyway, um, but because they're growing up, I mean, we're not too far generationally apart. Because I'm an 80s baby, but like I, I look at the world that they're growing up in compared to the world that I was growing up in. I'm so joyful that there was no social media when I was in high school. I'd have been canceled every every two days. But like Not because I was out here doing crazy things, but I mean, you could get canceled for anything these days. Uh, but my point is this, is that when you talk about identity and purpose, and people ask me all the time as well, because I, I have a degree in chemistry, and they're like, if, if you weren't a pastor, what would you do? And, and I... I used to rack my brain about it, and I would always lean towards what I was good at, like, academically. And then I stopped, and I was like, I, I genuinely can't imagine being anything else. Um, and it, it comes down to identity and purpose, and who am I? And and then what, it's more than what do I do um, in the world, but, but what do I want to do based upon who I am? Um, and so not everybody's going to be a church worker, but... Uh, but everybody's still a Christian, and if you get, it's such a joy. I, I tell people all the time, it's, it's literally my job to to share the gospel and to encourage people to share the gospel professionally. I feel like the luckiest person in the world. Like I get paid to do this, and so just put that into perspective. I'm not going to be a millionaire anytime soon, uh, but but if if you maximize joy in life with what you do professionally, I. That's just you're just in a really sweet spot living uh, as an adult if you can do those two things if identity and purpose can align in such a way to where being a Christian happens to be your profession. So so I want to switch gears a little bit um, and and kind of come back to some things that we've talked about earlier in the conversation. So maybe maybe the the identity and purpose um, 
fits in a little bit because you said every five years or, or so you need kind of a, a new thing. So that kind of speaks to what is your identity and purpose, and especially seasons. Um, and so one of the things that, that I know that you're up to in, in this new season, um, because you've been a senior pastor long enough that the congregation's stable, there's always stuff to do, um, but you're, you're continually re- reinventing yourself and your role in the congregation. Um, you've, you've noticed uh, some, you mentioned earlier your work with um, immigrants in the community, um, new Americans, and um, I think there are a lot of congregations out in our church body uh, that have immigrants, neighbors living next door, but the question is, how do I even get started? So um, I think, yeah, I'm interested to hear about the, the immigrant story. So tell us a little bit about that ministry. How did it start, um, and what has it developed into today? Yeah, the next season of my ministry, or it is now and it will be, is um, my uh, theme is John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease. So I'm just trying to get out of the way, probably for the rest of my ministry. You know, God willing, 20 years, 30, I don't know, we'll see. But just trying to get out of the way, and I want to raise up a hundred behind me or a thousand behind me, mm. and so I'm looking forward to I, I'm identifying and, and developing and, and investing in people who uh, I can give away any influence, power, wisdom, anything that I have. I just want to give it away to them. So uh, two years ago, I really was compelled by this. I thought I just felt a, a sense that I need to do. I need to decrease, and others need to increase. So I had my eye open for overlooked and undervalued people. Um, that wouldn't be the sixth generation Lutheran pastor being the Missouri Synod pastor. I'm looking for people not like me, and I want to give anything I can to them. And so I met a young man from Uganda named Charles, who was 19, 20 years old at the time, uh, in uh, uh, community college at the time, and uh, just started mentoring him. We just gathered, called him an intern, gave him some stuff to do. We met every week. We read the Gospel of Luke. We prayed together and uh, gave him some work to do. Uh, the next year, I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to start a ministry for kids like me. Okay. Uh, kids coming over as children or teenagers uh, from Uganda, uh, Rwanda, Tanzania. Um, so a year ago, he started a ministry uh, to those kids. Uh, it's continuing this year. We have now sent him to Concordia, Nebraska, to finish his four-year degree. And now he has raised up a couple of friends who are leading the ministry in his absence. And I'm just providing mentorship support and people, manpower, to do food, driving, pickup, playing basketball and soccer. But these young men are leading the ministry. And um, sometimes they fail and fail, fall hard on the ground. We just pick them up and keep going. And uh, so Mike, the next guy, Mike Shakuru, he may uh, move on, and then there'll be somebody up under him. And uh, so right now we're essentially planting an African church uh, with 19, 20-year-old young men. So exciting. Yeah, it's again, it's just remarkable. Just that again, that insight. I'm, I'm thinking about what you're doing, thinking about what we're doing, and uh, again, I, I don't, I don't pretend anything. When people ask me about recruiting and all the other stuff, I'm like, well, understand. Uh, ben didn't ask me to be, become the director of recruitment at CSL because I had years of recruiting for the church. There are times when I go home. And I look at Dorothy and I say, why did Ben ask me to come work here? (laughs) Because of what you said, like we're still a lot of times in that trial and error phase. And having somebody like Ben 
uh, maybe he does it because his pastor does it. I, I, I'm just joking. Ben is a remarkable leader. Where I, I, something falls flat and I, I hit my face hard. And then just to say, okay, well, what's the takeaway from the experience? Let's not throw it away. Uh, but is there anything that can be gleaned so that, you know, and then if nothing else, you hit your face, you know, not to run that way anymore. Uh, and But again, when you're thinking about young people and raising them up, having somebody like you even think about that. And it, I, people used to ask me all the time about ethnic ministry, and you can speak into it differently. I think ethnic barriers are different than they were even a decade ago, uh, certainly 20 years ago and beyond to where young people, I mean, because ethnic barriers are taught. And so if you catch people before they learn those barriers, they don't exist to them. And some of the the youth, some still have them, but, but many don't. Um, but they always ask like, oh, do you think a white person could have been a pastor in Ferguson? I'm like, well, well, why couldn't you? And let me show you an example. One example would have been John Schmicke, who served as a pastor for over three decades in one of the toughest neighborhoods in St. Louis and did remarkable things and raised up leaders that didn't look like him. And so, I mean, having a heart for that, having a mind for that, what would you say to encourage anybody else who has somebody who's different than them, uh, contextually close geographically, uh, and, and just thinking about what can I do to cross this barrier? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have to be ethnic or color, or I mean, it could be a number of differences. Right. But I think, so I don't know, there, there might be pastors listening to this or other church leaders or a deaconess or, um, yeah, just look for one person that might be overlooked or undervalued. A lot of times they're younger people, but it could be, you know, somebody who's just different, who's not the, not the usual. We need more non-typical people here in this place and in the church who are leading. We don't need, well, we don't need more Jeff Claters who kind of, I mean, that pipeline is draw, drying up in terms of kind of the, the pastor's kid who goes, I mean, you're, I'm sure you, you have the stats on that. But um, those people are going to reach people like them. I'm looking for people who will reach people that I could never reach. Mm. So Charles grew up in uh, Uganda in a refugee camp his whole life. His family fled the Congo. His dad was Muslim, uh, a fighter in uh, Congo, largely raised by his mom. He comes over here. We are entirely different. Um, he can reach a pocket of people that I could never reach. My only job is to give him the resources, the encouragement, the training he needs. And he's going to, if, if I put, invest in that one person, it's a relatively easy lever that's going to have massive impact. He's going to reach hundreds or thousands of people in his life. And so I think if, if you are a, a leader, a church worker, and you're listening to this, like just identify somebody right now, one name, one person, and I am going to decrease so that they can increase. I'm going to give them everything I've got. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a long-term investment. It's not, you know, quarterly results. You're thinking generationally at that point, um, which, which you guys are working on. What you are doing in recruitment is generational. It's not just year to year. I'm trying. Uh, I, I think about that because, uh, again, talk about joyful work. Every summer, I host Vocatio. I have kids coming from all over the country. Uh, and when we talk about events, it's, it's one of these things where a week with, well, if numbers grow with tens and tens and tens of high schoolers has its challenges. But then it's always heartbreaking to see them go home uh, because they're such remarkable kids. And then I, I, I think about them. I pray for them every day. Every once in a while, one of them reach out and text asking for advice and things like that. Uh, so I'm just trying to, to 
to follow suit from I, I tell people all the time I'm like well again I, I, I wouldn't be uh, have any level of success as a director of recruitment without Ben and so when I look at other people I'm like okay so what has Ben given to me and then what can I give to them and it, I'm, what I'm speaking about is it's such an important thing for leaders not to think that their value comes from being the guy all the time sometimes it's it's much better for somebody else to be the guy um and i try to make that happen as much as i can because again uh, we're talking about dividing time i do this i do graduate school a parent i started uh, a part-time call to a congregation that needed a pastor trying to raise up the guy there and so again it, it's just this license that i'm not as important as i i think i am it's such a, a powerful lesson and i think that's what you're saying that's what i'm hearing Obviously, you're a very important person to your family, to your congregation, but you, but you get what I'm saying, the sentiment of it. It's such an important lesson to learn, especially for somebody who's relatively young in the leadership space. I'll, I'll hang on to that as much as I can. I'm not 40 yet, so relatively young. On that note, we, <laughs> we, should, we should move on we to um, our uh, – this has been a fantastic conversation, but we always close out the episode with ripe for the picking or leave it on the tree – um, so, um, this is under the fig tree podcast. So, so what we do is we, we're going to ask you about a couple of things right for the picking. Is that something that you like? You'd ripe, you, you'd pick it, you'd eat it or nah, not for me. Leave it on the tree. So, um, I'll go first. First one. Um, Micah has this huge list. I have three for today. I just write them um, as I go. Krispy Kreme donuts. Ripe for the picking, leave it, leave it on leave the tree. It. Sugar coma. It's you're just gonna die. I so mean, leave it on. The but tree. you'll die happy though. Mm, it's too much sugar for me. Okay. I sp- I split a hey, dozen. Who's being, who's being interviewed here? Are you asking me? <laughs> I mean, like, you just have to accept the results. <laughs> oh, there's lots of judgment yeah, okay. here. Yeah, no, 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 you're, you're definitely hey, entitled you to your own the, opinion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This segment is there's there's a lot of sparring here. Who's, so who's I the guest here. I um I I once split a dozen Krispy Kremes with a buddy, and um yeah it it was it was sugar coma and it was bad. Uh, my body did not like it, but it was delicious. Totally worth it. Oh, you, yeah. you just gotta drink I, a, a heavy protein shake after to outbalance that Oof. insulin spike. That's that's how you that's see. Listen, I'm an experienced candy eater, so when when your when your insulin gets too high, just just eat some some high protein food real quick. It'll come right back down. It'll smooth itself out, and you'll get buff. So secret. Krispy oh, Kreme. I mean, you? I love donuts. Yeah. I, I mean, not just Krispy Kreme. Krispy yeah, Kreme are anything. good. People go on and on about their glaze. They're, yeah, they're yeah, light. Yeah, they're it's, fine. It's not my favorite. I, donuts. I like donuts. Just not Krispy Kreme. I also yeah. like the chocolate covered with whipped cream, but I just can't do them because as our our, our <laughs> listeners know, I'm lactose intolerant. I got all kinds of issues. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, no Krispy Kremes for me. I like I like the the maple bar. Yeah, donuts. I do that. I, and I and I will say this. So, so okay, fine. Krispy Kreme. They're not the best donut place in the world, but. There are places that take the maple bar and they put bacon, bacon. on it. Bacon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, That's, this is just genius. Yeah. Right. I don't understand how people haven't been doing this for time. That was too easy, though. I was going to I was gonna do the bacon, bacon uh, I would, glaze donut. I'd pick that donut. One. That's ripe. All right. Everybody, All right. everybody. <laughs> I want to know somebody that would reject a donut with bacon on it. If, if you're a listener and you don't like donuts with bacon on it, you got to leave a comment, and we we need to be debating this because I just can't imagine that that person exists. All right, what do you got for us? Before I ask David, who you know is Day Day, this kid, 
if you put bacon in the oven, because that's how I like to cook it, because it's flat and crispy, he he knows. He comes from wherever he is, and he's like, is that bacon, this kid? All right, right for the picking, leave it on the tree. Uh, why, I had different, we'll, we'll stick with the food theme, pumpkin pie. Oh, pick that, that's ripe, ripe all day. Whipped yep. cream or just? Whipped cream, yep, huh? tons. Just hmm. open my mouth, put it in there, <laughs> and then eat some more. Yeah. Leave it on the tree. Is it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Is there, is there a, a lactose in there? Uh, almost yeah. always. Oh, there's, oh. there's lactose so in can't. everything that tastes good. <laughs> so yeah. you haven't like found a, a recipe that... Yeah, I mean, it it's wouldn't taste... It's also kind of a texture issue it for wouldn't me. Taste, oh. Because mm. I don't like raw dough. That's Ooh, the, uh, that's the other dough. thing. Like raw that's dough. Right. <laughs> oof, um, it will make me gag. And so pumpkin, it just has that kind of slimy... Uh, Sorry to hear that. That's too bad. Yeah, Yeah, it's really good. So, my mom's white, my dad's black. So, we whenever we'd come to Missouri for a holiday, we might split the time. So, white families typically pumpkin pie, black family sweet potato pie. I do prefer Mm -hmm. sweet potato pie, but both. Yeah, I'm I'm with you right for the picking. I I don't always put whipped cream on it because I know I I always say I'm a texture eater, but the texture of pumpkin pie is is nice, man. It's, it's, it's like custardy. All right, anyway, we're moving I on. Love it. All right, next one. Um, th- this one is a a custom uh, picked. Got it. Just for Jeff Clayter. Pearl Jam. <laughs> you know the answer, though. That's that's ripe. This is uh, my uh, teenage Jeff Clayter grungy yes. angsty. Listen to some Pearl Jam. You yeah. know, for the younger listeners. Well, luckily we have streaming music today. You can go back. You right. listen to anything, right. anytime. Just, but I had the cassette tape, then the CDs. Yes. Every album lined up. You on even my referred to Pearl Jam on the the website of Reliant. Early days. When you, that was when you planted. That Reliant. was a poor choice. That poor was, choice. <laughs> you know, you have regrets in ministry. Probably shouldn't have done that. But. Um, you know, you mature over time. Yeah. But yeah. It was the kind of hip thing to do in the early cool. 2000s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fads. Oh, fads. Yeah. I yeah. mean, 90s grunge music. You got to love it all. Yeah. It's yeah. all right for the picking for me. Well, we were just talking about this. For any Marvel fans, um, that um, rendition of, of Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit on Black Widow. Oh, oh, that man, was that was, man. Oh, that was, was remarkable amazing. at the opening scene yeah. when it came on. I was like, "Oh, this Chills. is crazy!" Chills. Yeah, yeah. Again, they they're not don't go follow the lifestyle of these guys, yeah. but their music is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah small teen spirit is is a jam. Um, this is this is a random one because I I write mine down just as I'm going on the way. Uh, write for the picking or leave it on the tree. Roundabouts. Mm. Ooh, that's this is controversial. It is. Um, I was just I took my staff on a field trip to a church in Indianapolis, Cornerstone, oh, Indianapolis, great. Yeah. and Carmel, Indiana, is the like capital in the United States of roundabouts. Sure, mm. every intersection is a roundabout, and after that, I do not like them. I okay. was okay with them. But like I got sick. We had a 15-passenger van, and I just got sick, and everyone just going around. So I was okay with them because I think they're probably economical and environmentally, right? Is that kind of the thought behind them? It, I, I mean, it, it keeps traffic flowing. It, I think. Yeah, traffic yeah, flowing yeah. without having yeah. you know, lights at every corner, right, and that's right. fine. But, uh, but now I'd, I'd leave it on the tree at this point. Okay. okay. Uh, for me, they're right for the picking. So growing up in North St. Louis, there's exactly one called the Circle, and there's what like Ooh, six yeah. streets to come off of. Yes, now right. that one's a nightmare. That's, a crazy, that's unique. Because some people, yeah. the, 
it's a wide roundabout so some people decide to drive on the inside of it for some reason which yeah. always confuses me it's like bro how do you ever plan to get out of there you're gonna be you're gonna get <laughs> sick but then um you know studying at westfield house i mean england has roundabouts on oh, the yeah. highway you'll be driving on the highway and then you hit a roundabout like what's the point of this and but for all the reasons that you said like economy keeping traffic going if you if if you have people who know how to drive a roundabout you don't get this because everybody just does it and it, it's very mechanical you you just wait your turn and you know when your turn is but in america people don't know how to drive roundabouts and when somebody won't enter one when they're supposed to i i might have road rage i don't know it drives me crazy i like them i wish we had more but but if you're not used to them i get it all right last one from me um and we do have some younger listeners on here, so I get to preface this last one. But uh, we also have plenty who are uh, of age. So uh, this one is for those who are 21 and above. But ripe for the picking or leave it on the tree, gin. Um, ripe for the picking, gin and tonic. Yeah. Gin and tonic. It's, uh, you can't mess it up. So if you're at a wedding, if you're a pastor at a wedding. Gin and tonic is always... uh, You know the bartender can't mess that up. Yeah. So, yeah. And even the the bar that has the lowest rail drink is still probably going to be able to do a gin and tonic. Dirty martinis? Uh, Leave it on the tree. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Gin is all ripe for the picking for me. I love gin. See, I've spent weeks calling Ben pretentious. (laughs) Which he is. But everybody knows there's no secret to it. I like gin and tonic. I like the finer things. I don't like like shelf oh. gin. It's it's too piney and weird to mm. me. I I am like a sapphire. Oh yeah, or like yeah, a yeah. Bombay sapphire. Oh, I see what you're above. saying. I thought yeah, no, I want So you're joining gin. me in my pretentiousness. That's what I'm yeah, that's yeah, what I'm right. getting at. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah. When it comes to yeah, exactly. The finer things in life. Oh, they're better the, when they're the finer the things in life. The best gin and tonic that I've ever had was in London. And it was like really good gin, yeah. really good tonic. Yeah. Uh, it was a crazy expensive drink, I mean, but it was totally worth it. When it's worth it, it's worth it, though. Yeah. All right, last one for me. Uh, right for the picking, leave it on the tree. I, I keep going back and forth of which one. You know, I'll just, because you're kind of hip, maybe. And you have teenage uh kids so uh, tiktok compilations and i'm not saying i'm I'm not asking you if you watch tiktok if you do fine but i'm assuming you watch youtube and every once in a while maybe a tiktok compilation pops up in your feed yeah what what is this tiktok thing you speak of (laughs) (laughs) i like clocks yeah Yeah. no i so uh preface i'll i'll write for the picking i'll pick it I am not on TikTok. I don't want the Chinese like tracking me Fair. everywhere yep. I go. I'm okay, with you. So I don't have like, a TikTok account yeah, either. My uh, I, family members in my house do, and they speak TikTok. It's yep. like there's like a language, right. and they speak it. Right. And I'm just at the dinner table, like, what are you talking about? And so I'm learning it's a TikTok, new language. TikTok, Dad. Yeah. yeah. God. I think you're done. You're done. <laughs> so I don't have a TikTok account because. Uh, well, anyway, it, it, it get embarrassing at some point. At some point, you have to say like, I am too old for that. But I do, uh, I tr- again, it's, it's, it's the work of staying hip. Again, like, it's one of those things, like, if I didn't know what was going on on TikTok, when, when the high school students come to events, we'd have nothing to talk about, hardly at all. Yeah, that's fair. So you got to stay hip a little bit. And it, what I appreciate, some of them are, are actually good. Some of them are, it's like, how, does, how did somebody watch this? How did a million people watch this? But, but some of them are like, all right, that's, that's clever. Yeah, they're, just, um, they're, they're, they're entertaining. I... I I think I would say, um, if I if I was with my kids and for the sake of my kids, I would say, nah, right for the picking, 
if I was on my own, uh, I would say I don't get it. Leave it on the tree. Yeah, yeah. it's again there. There for things. the sake of the kids, though. Yep. I'm an old man. Well, my my Johnny is Johnny's gonna be nine in a week, um, and he's not ten yet, but he will be very soon. And it's really starting to set in. Winter is coming. That I am. <laughs> getting older and i'm having a little bit of an existential crisis i told dorothy on my 40th birthday if i come home with the corvette i won't keep it because i can't afford it but you know don't yell at me just just let me be for like two hours until i have to return it um well jeff thank you for being a guest again i we always come to this point of the conversation where it has to end at some point uh, if you, i feel like you've given a ton of advice almost everything you said was advice, but if you had to give one last piece of advice to a listener who was maybe thinking about becoming a church worker, uh, what would that be? I'll go back to what I said before. If you feel overlooked and undervalued, Mm. I think you should really think about this. Um, We need you. We need you. And pray about it. You know, the internal and external call, like pray about it. There's an internal kind of gut wrenching and there's an external, like talk to people that you value and let them speak into you. So good. Uh, Remarkable. Well, Jeff, uh, Pastor Jeff Clater, thank you for being a guest with us under the fig tree. Uh, Listeners, just to recap, um, in the link description, there will be a link to our request for information. And so if you are one of these people who feel undervalued and you would like to know a little bit more information about Concordia Seminary and uh, the potential for uh, church work in your future, uh, click the link, let us know who you are, we'll reach out to you, we'll contact you, we'll probably invite you to come spend some time with us on campus, and bonus, uh, Ben will send you a book, and right now, uh, at least for the unforeseeable future, until people want something different, you'll get a copy of Sculptor Spirit by Dr. Leopoldo Sanchez, one of our faculty members, and if you get that book and become a student, there's at least one textbook you won't have to purchase in the future, um, which when, when you get into higher education, every book you get for free has incremental value. Uh, but thank you for listening. And as always, thank you for joining us under the fig tree. See you next time.